You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. All right, in this episode, Hertz, Mahomes, Ramey, Lanza, we handicap Philly and KC based on their hustle on the opera stage. And then the gold paint is still wet on Sunday night's trophies. Viola Davis is egotted, and Beyonce has finally won more Grammys than Sir George Schulte. Mm. <gasps> Plus, in the two minute drill, I would do anything for the Villa Verdi, but I won't do that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher and Spotify. You're going to click follow Apple Podcasts. Just hit the plus sign. Send us that voice memo. Email us your hot takes about what we're talking on, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster and the OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. Yeah. Oliver Camacho, happy Monday. Great to see you. Great to be seen. What's going on with West Virginia? I thought we were going to hear from West Virginia today. They're, you're making them wait. Until after after the Super Bowl. I get it. That makes yes, sense. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. All in good time. All in good time, West Virginia. You don't want to give West Virginia too much attention. I always have said that. <laughs> get lost in those country roads. You give them an inch and they'll take a country mile or something. Uh, Weston Williams calling an audible. Oh, yes. Here, here uh, reporting live from the Alexander Graham Bell booth. We're having a bit of a technical <laughs> issue, which hopefully none of you will know if I've done my job right in the post-editing. Yeah, but baby. right now, I'm, I've got a very long string and a cup to uh, make this call work. So. so really, it's more like Weston Williams calling in, comma, audible. There we go. There, we go. <laughs> there it is. Uh, of course, the NFL Pro Bowl was on Sunday. Wait a second. I... You didn't welcome Matt Cummings. Hello. I just like to sneak my way in there. Okay. <laughs> Don't give me too much attention. I'm the opposite of West Virginia. <laughs> the NFL Pro Bowl was the non-entity that, of course, everybody knew it would be, even though it was flag football. The was real there some fun, high jumping? Uh, there was some dodgeball. I don't know if that's exciting. The real fun oh, over the is. weekend was on Saturday which was the NHL All-Star Game. How could I have forgotten about that? It was in Florida. Just do yourself a favor and look up the jerseys that the two conferences wore at the NHL All-Star Game. Your your eyes are going to bleed with the coloring of those <laughs> well, jerseys. That doesn't sound good. No, no, it was dreadful. Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Super Bowl LVI. I.I. or 57 kicks off this Sunday in Arizona between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. So we've broken down this match into like five opera categories. No, no, we're not going to predict a winner. Don't worry. But but we are going to figure out which city has more opera power. And of course, we're just going to hate on Philadelphia fans <laughs> in general. So, Oliver, what were the metrics that we were dealing with here? Well, like like we do every year. <laughs> We're trying to predict the Super Bowl uh, winner based on what that city has to offer in terms of opera. What are their venues? What are the performance opportunities for both the audiences and the artists? What are some of the training opportunities? And who are some of the city's native 
opera creators. And there'd be bonus points if the town in question is actually in the scenario of an opera or is mentioned in an opera like um, New Orleans in Men on the Scope. For example, uh, yes, the classic <laughs> desert of New Orleans where everyone goes to die of thirst. So I guess we should take it. Uh, we should go head to head on venues. Um, as a fan of Opera Philadelphia, I can tell you that the Academy of Music. The so home you're of- going to do Philadelphia with Weston. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So the teams are Oliver and Weston, our team Philly and George and Matt, our team KC. Here we go. Uh, And as an Opera Philadelphia fan, I can tell you that uh, the Academy of Music, the home of Opera Philadelphia, is actually the oldest opera house in the U.S., built in 1855. Dang. It's a beautiful venue, beautiful uh, The the oldest opera house that still uses an opera house, specifically. There are some that are older that have not done opera in a long time. But this is still used as an opera house, which is really significant. Yes. Um, And there are other venues, actually, when you go to the O Festival... Uh, they create like a sort of a campus in mm. the downtown area of places you, that you can see opera uh, of various sizes. Um, but I have to give it to the Academy of Music for just being a gorgeous place to be. All right, Matt, what do we got on the Kansas City side? And hey, people, it's in Missouri. All right. We're talking about the Missouri <laughs> side. Don't even know what state it's in. I don't know if you know this, but it is famously said that everything is up to date in Kansas City, and that definitely <laughs> has to do with its um with its performance venues. That's what um that that's what Oscar Hammerstein was referring to uh, seventy five years ahead of the uh, the the construction of the wonderful, the glorious Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts, which is home to none other than the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. Um, the Kaufman Center has been the home of the company since 2011, uh, after it had to bounce around from venue to venue due to uh, a number of opera houses in the city of Kansas City that have burned down. Like, it's more Yikes. than two. It's it. <laughs> uh, but their their current home is, the, is an 1800-seat theater that's both intimate and visually striking, with state-of-the-art acoustics oh. and sight lines. It, it sort of looks like the Sydney Opera House had gone all melty. Yeah, it was built um, <laughs> because it's right next to the central business district in Kansas City, uh, but they but it's facing away from that neighborhood. So they wanted it to like kind of look good from all angles, and so they went with this this very modern design that shone from all angles. Um, but what's really interesting is that inside the theater, uh, the the seats are kind of in a semicircle around the stage, so it, which is what's known as vineyard style, which means that the audiences mm. are a lot closer to the performers than they would be under a, uh, a typical proscenium stage. And they also are, you know, up in those fancy houses like the Metropolitan Opera in New York where the supertitles are not projected above the screen as an eyesore distracting you. Gross. Rather, they're on the back of the seat in front of you. Are they really? Um, they got the back of the seat titles. They do. They do. Yeah, the, the That's center kind of is... like flying um, priority economy. Exactly. <laughs> the uh, the house is really committed to accessibility. And so they've, they've tried to remove stairs where they're not necessary yes. and any kind of barriers to entry for, for the um, the community to be able to come in and enjoy art, the wonderful Lear Opera of Kansas City. All right. Well, that round kind of sounds like a tie, don't you think, guys? Well, we also have in, uh, in Philadelphia the Kimmel Center, uh, which has the Miller Theater. And I actually forget the name of the smaller theater where I saw Semele. 
Oh, but, and you don't um, get credit for it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, buddy. No, but it's no, but it's one of those like modern buildings that has the ability to do both Broadway shows and like orchestral concerts mm-hmm. and chamber opera. And the chamber opera venue actually has a beautiful acoustic, much like um, I'm sure the Kaufman Center's whatever. I mean, venue, you can wish. Even... <laughs> <laughs> but it's just foot, just footsteps away from the academy, so. You know, you might there might be a night of three operas that you just do a like a moving feast, like like a progressive progressive dinner of opera. Amazing, right? The, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Opera Philadelphia, that'd be cool. So then, what are our second metric? The performance opportunities for audiences and and artists. So this is the the companies, right? This is the meat and the potatoes. We're gonna get to training grounds in a second. What's Philadelphia have on offer? Well, I have to say that. One of the great things about Philadelphia is that we have Opera Philly, Opera Philadelphia. But Who's we, also, we, by the way? Uh, Weston Sh- and I. We, we <laughs> as Team Philadelphia, yeah. the ro- the loosely defined royal we. Yes, yes. But just just blocks away from Opera Philadelphia's uh, home, you can go to the campuses of the Academy of Vocal Arts and Curtis Institute and hear the highest level emerging artists literally yeah. singers like you know michael fabiano or uh alex schrader or um all plenty of people who came out of aba like eileen perez came out of there mm-hmm. ruth ann swenson came out of there uh we have one of yours joyce di donato came out hey, of hey that's one of our girls <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah you don't get mm-hmm. you don't get credit yeah for her. no that doesn't count and also, like, you know, the Curtis Institute as well, you have just an insane list of alumni. You've got Samuel Barber, Giancarlo Minotti, uh, Leonard Bernstein, Juan Diego Flores, Rose Bampton, Eric Owens, Ned Roram, Anna Mafo, Pavo Yervi. Yeah, I was going to deduct if you didn't bring up Anna Mafo. So good job. Jennifer <laughs> Higdon. Like this, like, like literally I was going through like a list of just the notable alumni that I could find like on Wikipedia, like the basics. And it was so long. I was cutting people left and right. It, it is an absolutely ludicrous. Not, not only you can, can you go and see great music now, you could step in a time machine and see any number of the greatest uh, opera artists in American history at any time between the Curtis Institute and, and the AVA over the past century. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, Philadelphia has always been a great town for the history of opera. It's very much, um, a, 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 you, you saw like a lot of the first American performances of a lot of Mozart operas, for example, Don Giovanni, Marriage of Figaro premiered uh, in America, in Philadelphia. Um, they premiered the first American grand opera in 1845, which is William Henry Fry's Leonora. Ah, so yes, really at any that. point in history, you are going to get the best, the best opera that America has to offer. offer. It really is that city. But, but also we should say that Opera Philadelphia offers such incredible things for Philadelphia audiences, not just the O Festival, which is how many different events all crammed into one week in October or whatever it happens or two weeks yeah. in October. But they also have their stagione. And uh, this year you can hear uh, a Margaret Bond's work called Credo juxtaposed with um, Carmina Burana. And then later you can see the um, what I'm sure is the backwards uh, bohème. I think that's the one that they're doing. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Evolved, evolved. If you're doing it forwards, you're just behind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, don't get me distracted on that. Matt, all right. Lyric Opera of Kansas City. That is our big one in the KC corner. Set it up for us. What's the history? Why is it so important? Lyric Opera of Kansas City uh, has been around since the the mid-50s, since 1957, and it was a bit of a time capsule. It was an attempt to bring a kind of European stagione model to the American heartland. And really, at its peak, mm. uh, they were doing this with by rotating repertoire so that you were not just stuck with seeing one opera at a time. You know, it was really kind of the O Festival before the O Festival. Thanks, yeah. O Festival is just like trying to catch up mm-hmm. with the Lyric <laughs> Opera of Kansas City, uh, where you could see four different f- operas within one week and within its first decade the company did more than 200 performances of 30 different works uh it's also mm. been it, it's had a long-standing commitment to presenting new works doing premieres back as far back as the 1970s uh really before that came totally into vogue uh, in regional companies for sure uh and that was with captain jinx and of the horse marines uh an art an opera that they later made a recording of with rca uh and it's grown from a company that uh, had a budget of about $34,000 in its first season to one with over $5 million. And it's just continually bringing high quality art to the denizens of Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas. The other thing I was going to add for the city of of, uh, Kansas City, besides having an opera on tap branch, which has many locations across our country, is also a little storefront theater company I came across called Landlocked Opera. Their website is super fresh and I just love the name. We've talked about training opportunities. So so let's let's do some name dropping. Well, what are your training opportunities for because we know about Curtis and AVA. I mean, those are world class, you know, some of the best that American can produce. UMKC baby, University of Missouri Kansas City, the conservatory. Yeah, you're not going to get that program. kind of cookie cutter just like <laughs> generic American destined to be uh, in the Met Finals out of UMKC. You know, that's a, this is a school that cares about the originality and artistic passions of its mm. students. Mm. A good friend of mine was, was just on the faculty there, actually. Uh, but I was lo- I looking at their website. Turns out that um, two of their master's students, Alana Garnier and David Sanchez, were both on the 2021 Grammy Award-winning recording from the Met of Porgy and Bess. We're going to talk about the Grammys later mm. on in the show. I thought mm. that was pretty cool. Let, let's get on to some really big names here. The Native Children. Yeah, so lots of people have passed through Philadelphia, but how yeah. many of them can actually claim it as home? Uh, some people like Mario Lanza and Stephen Costello, that's just tenors. Uh, we have some of the greatest uh, contraltos and mezzopranos of all time, like Marian Anderson mm-hmm. and Florence Quivar, and then the great Margaret Harshaw. And if you're looking for Wagnerian bass baritones, we have Eric Owens, not to mention uh, composer Mark Blitzstein and composer and librettist and friend of the show, Mark Adamo. And then one for Weston, not quite opera, but we got Milton Babbitt. One of ours. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is a vibe. That, that's, a, that's a penalty flag. I had to drop that one in there. I will also say there is, I do have one extra uh, penalty flag, perhaps. I want to mention Alexander Reinagel, who was English, but he was producing opera and, and ballets in conjunction with local composers in the United States as far back as late 1790s in Philadelphia, which is truly extraordinary for 
Man, U.S. opera. Man, ink hadn't dried on the Declaration of Independence by yeah, that Absolutely point. not. Yeah. You're really into drying liquids on this episode. I maybe. just, I don't know what it, I, just, I don't know what it is. Oh my God. You guys are going to get us an explicit rating. <laughs> Here we go. I'm George keep, Dry Liquid Cedar Quiz. We're going to keep this short and sweet. Native children of Kansas City, Missouri. Here you go. Tenors, Vincent Cole and Thomas Hayward. Composer Vincent Cole, who now teaches at the University of Missouri, oh, Kansas doubling City. doubling down. Nice one, Matt. Composer Virgil Thompson. And we're going to expand the net a little bit here of of, of Casey and, and talk about some folks from the, the near suburbs. Uh, Joyce DiNanato from Prairie Village. James King from Dodge City. Sam Raimi from Colby, hmm. Are Kansas. all of those suburbs of Kansas City? Not necessarily, but in the spirit <laughs> of the American West, anything that's more uh, more or less two hours away counts as being close by. I mean, Joyce... if it happened in Kansas, that's close enough. Uh, uh, even Joyce Castle has deep ties to Kansas. She still teaches at Kansas University in Lawrence, less than an hour from Kansas City. And for folks in related professions to the arts, music, and sports, we're going to add Robert Altman, Walt Disney, Burt Bacharach, John Kander, and Satchel Paige. Wouldn't Walt Disney be a penalty flag? No. Because he's anti-Semitic? Because of Disney Corporation. Fantasia. Fantasia. That's... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Philadelphia Orchestra's own Leopold Stokowski was good enough for him. Oh! (laughs) Walt Disney, also a character in The Greatest American, Kansas City. That's true. <laughs> oh. You got there us you there. Go. Bonus points. Nice Bonus one. points for, for Kansas. Does yeah. Kansas City appear in that opera? I have no idea, but it does in theory. <laughs> uh, All right. The last metric was bonus points for the town being a scenario of an opera. We've already claimed ours, maybe. I'm counting it. <laughs> And I have a backup for Kansas City as well. I, wa- I wanted to say that, uh, you know, I-, I was looking around for operas that took place in Philadelphia. I'm sure there are some. I was blanking in my own memory, but I'm sure any, any like, uh, opera about, like, you know, colonial American history has at least one scene in Philadelphia. But I wanted to get another bonus point in because I wanted to uh, say that noted Philadelphia luminary Benjamin Franklin invented the glass harmonica, which has made appearances in many operas for all of you George Benjamin slash Donizetti stands out there like myself. Okay, um, but he never is... actually put the glass harmonica in the final version of that score, just saying. Yikes. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I will brutal. say, like, I will walk out of a, a out of a Lucia that, do, that does the flute substitution. Garbage <laughs> stuff, garbage. We're going to flip it over to Kansas City. First of all, Kansas City is the city of fountains. Secondly, I'm just waiting for the um, the cheer to go up there. Uh, <laughs> Kansas City, Weston, it, edit that in, please. <laughs> is a is a is a sister city with Seville, Spain, and so we're gonna count that. Ever heard of it? As a connection for Barbara Seville and Carmen. <laughs> Take and that. Carmen. Yeah, that's right. And as I've that, said, a... wow, everything there is up to date. We've come about as far as we can go. <laughs> <laughs> well there you have it folks i think with the, with those data points you're going to really be able to place a good bet this this sunday on, <laughs> on that big on that big game bet on the glass harmonica folks it never fails well this is the year that i'm finally going to actually place a bet 
on mm. the length of the national anthem, which is one of the very classic parlay bets that any bookie will take for the Super Bowl. And um, I th- they, they give you like an average time and then you decide if the actual anthem is going to be under or over that time. Okay, here's our, bon- here's our bonus point. I just realized uh, the movie Philadelphia, the Jonathan Deming movie Aww. Philadelphia. No, it's set in Philadelphia. You get some Maria Callas. You got some tying, crying mm. Tom Hanks. Mm. It's That's very a great... gay. That's yeah. fun. I mean, you get bonus points just for <laughs> representation. Fair. fair. There fair. you go. Well, if you are a Philly fan or a Chiefs fan, let us or know. Or a biased Yinzer like me who just can't stand Philadelphia <laughs> to get anything good. <laughs> let us know what you think is the best part of opera in one of those cities. And you can do that by emailing us, operaboxscore at gmail.com. It's our Chalk Talk double header. Before we get into that super quick, I was writing with one of our listener mailbag correspondents, Woody from Virginia, and he said, you know, I, I have just to admit- Just regular Virginia, not West not, Virginia. Not Virginia. Just regular. <laughs> he, said, he said, look, I have to admit that Philly sports fans are quite well balanced. You know, for six months of the year, they drone on incessantly about the Phillies, and the other six months, they mention the Eagles in every single conversation. <laughs> Ouch! Loved it. Oliver Camacho, the Grammy Awards were Sunday night. Those statues, they're just so unwieldy. What did I miss when I was in bed asleep? Or well, there watch, was watching All I, Creatures Great and Small. What did I miss? I, aren't there like 90 awards that are given? I forgot. There's like an ungodly number of Grammys, but uh, we'll talk about I mean, about... they certainly don't put the classical Grammys in prime time. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about three that are related to what we do here, beginning with um, vocal solo album. Uh, The nominees this year were Joyce DiDonato's environmentally conscious album called Eden with the Baroque Orchestra Il Pomodoro led by Maxime Emelianichev. And then mezzo-soprano Sasha Cook and pianist Kirill Kuzmin in the uh, new commission art song album How Do I Find You? Um, Nico Muley's uh, works for tenor called Stranger, the album with Nick Pon mm. and uh, The Knights and Brooklyn Rider, which are two um, string ensembles based out of, I guess, Brooklyn and countertenor Reginald Mobley. And then Sean O'Pebolo's album of uh, reimagined spirituals as art songs, Lord, How Coming Here, which features Will Liverman and Janae Bridges with uh, Paul Sanchez on piano. But the winner was uh, Renee Fleming's The Anthropocene with uh, Yannick Nézé-Séguin on piano, Voice of Nature. So there were actually two environmental albums uh, in the running. And uh, yeah, Renee, she now has seven or she now has six? She now has six. Okay. Not as many as Beyonce or George Schulte, uh, R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say this, this this segment was kind of interesting. Like that was uh, of every single. I, I really love all the albums in this category. Um, the only one I hadn't heard was the winner. <laughs> I, I I thought it was wow. going to go to uh, uh, the Shauna Pebolo because um, it's such a it's a great album. It's very relevant for the moment. I think. 
Um, and not to say that uh, the Anthropocene is isn't relevant. I think it is, but uh, um, I don't know. I just I wasn't expecting this one to be the one that pulled out of this uh, particular category. Yeah, I, and I forget if it was last year, two years ago, they gave it to Hilla Plitman, the mythologies album. She's like the husband of Eric or the wife of Eric. Whitaker yeah, Mrs. Whitaker. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the year before, I don't know. They they just seem to always drop the ball on like what could be something that would get people interested in, you know, this. I mean, the fact that they're nominated is great, but Renee Fleming, she's doing fine. She doesn't need a right. Grammy, you know? Right, right. But maybe that's not yeah. what the people who are voting are thinking about. Like, how can I be a, an agent of whatever uh, change no, or an agent of... they're thinking how they can make money. That's what awards the Grammy, The Grammy voters? About. The Grammy voters? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Sure, yeah. The That's gra- what they want to do is make money. Bizarre choices. I do think that typically. you know the the way the the way they choose, especially for the classical categories, where you know most of the people who are voting in in the Grammys don't care. It, it's it's interesting to me because I feel like the opera recordings are usually very easy to predict who will win. Um, but once you go beyond that, it is it is a, an absolute crapshoot. <laughs> Could be anything. <laughs> So we'll touch briefly on the um, choral album winner, which was uh, Donald Nally, who has ties to Chicago. And there's some singers featured uh, on this. Oh, like half uh, the Chicago choral scenes on this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Donald Nally, the conductor and founder of uh, Philadelphia's, yay, The Crossing. Not opera uh, doesn't count. You do yeah, not get extra uh, credit. For the album called Born, <laughs> which beat out the Verdi Requiem Met Remembers 9-11, which we talked about extensively here when that when that performance mm-hmm. happened and a John Elliot Gardner led St. John Passion which is a surprise but that is actually and that's a great recording i feel like that is what i'm talking about like uh give it to something that's interesting that's going to draw people to repertoire that they may not be familiar with and and the repertoire on that album is like incredible that um the the title piece born the michael gilbertson is like 10 minutes of just an absolute banger. So the big category for us, obviously, is best opera recording. Right. There were only three in the writing this year, not like the Oscars where you get ten. Uh, there was <laughs> um, the Life and Times of Malcolm X from our friends uh, Odyssey Opera. Yeah, uh, Matthew O'Coin, friend of the show's Eurydice, which was once again an HD performance, and the winner, Terrence Blanchard's Fire mm. Shut Up in My Bones. Yeah, yeah. Um, also from the Met. Um, which is once again just an HD deal, and I'm very happy about that. It's a we are in the Blanchissance right now, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I'm happy that this opera is getting as much attention as it's it is. But it's frustrating for people like me who, uh, you know, really enjoy listening to recordings and revisiting them. And how do we mm-hmm. access? How are you supposed to access this thing? How are you supposed to to judge it? You know. How can anybody not find like it? An yeah. album. It's not released. As you can an get album, maybe get a Blu-ray if you is have it, a Blu-ray player. Is it? Is it? Was it even? I, I guess it was released on DVD or whatever. But I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think do, you have to is pay it for even necessarily HD. a prerequisite. Yeah, I was like, like, can you even buy a physical copy of this? That's actually a good question. <laughs> maybe in the Meta gift shop, but I doubt anywhere else. Yeah. I, I've had this rant before, obviously, but I think there should be two categories. There needs to be. An opera, um, 
or an opera recording category that's just audio and there needs to be you know it's kind of like the equivalent of like a music video and a and a, and a traditional album right you know you judge them on two different criteria i know i at least for me even if i'm going to listen to audio that's been ripped from like a, a record uh, uh like a live and hd uh recording kind of like Akhenaten was last year like i'm going to it for something different you know I, it's not the same experience um yeah. and i and and like we talked with gil rose a few uh, a few weeks ago um the importance of really maintaining a robust recorded industry because that's how most people consume music and i think it's a great disadvantage for classical music and especially opera to rely on these film uh productions when most people are listening just on their headphones you know right i don't think other categories that win grammys uh you know can win a grammy based on what they offer and like you know if harry styles music video doesn't win a Grammy Award. It's the record that wins Grammy Award. Those, those are the VMAs, right? It's a completely yeah. separate award. Yeah, and it's just an entirely different comparison. I agree with you. Like between the, uh, an engineered studio recording, where it's not necessarily a, it's not a replication of just a live performance. Like it's its own art form. Versus, like, yeah, live audio. It, I often love listening to it as its own thing. Like it's like there's so much excitement. You get to hear like the actual blood pumping through the performance in a way that doesn't always come through through the studio recording but like it's not app like it's you're not comparing apples and apples yeah yeah uh, who who would accept like literally accept the trophy from the met when fire shut up in my bones peter gelb <laughs> okay I, I, no, no, I, don't, seriously. I don't know i don't know i don't, I don't know i mean where, where first of all where is the ceremony held is it los angeles I guess. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I just I was I curious. So. I guess I just want to know about the logistics. Like how does it all how does it all work? But yeah. you know what, George, you can just watch it on TV. Yeah, you can wow. look it up. You can ask Google. So that was quite the roster. <laughs> <laughs> I need a Philly cheesesteak. I'm so hungry. Oh, me too. Only then can our country be saved. saved. Gosh, rested. The Grammys have got you so agitated. Why don't you just take a lap and you can come back for good call, bad call. We're going to push on with the two minute drill. This just in the two minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in opera land this week. Alexander Pereira, the intendant of Florence's Maggio Musicale, is under investigation for embezzlement regarding expenses incurred and charged to, to the opera. Pereira said, I will reiterate and clarify what I have always maintained in every forum. These expenses are all connected and necessary for the exercise of my mandate as superintendent and artistic director of the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino. Opera houses across Italy have come together in a bid to keep Verdi's country house open to the public. Villa Verdi in Sant'Agata di Villanova was put up for sale in October after a long-running squabble among his heirs. The government allocated 
the government allocated 20 million euros for the purchase of the home, which it intends to use as a museum in its 2023 budget. The culture minister, Gennaro San Giuliano, said it was, quote, the duty of the republic to honor the memory of Verdi. Welsh National Opera will expand wellness with WNO, its community health program, to combat the effects of long COVID. The program shares techniques and strategies used by opera singers to support breath control, lung function, circulation, and posture. Participant Gabby Curley said, You don't have to be a good singer at all. I now have the confidence to sing out loud and not be conscious of whether I'm singing in tune simply because I know how much it can help. French mezzo-soprano Katia Ledoux made history at the Vienna Volksoper last month when she stepped in for an ailing colleague in Offenbach's operetta Orpheus in the Underworld. Tenor Daniel Kluge, cast as Orpheus, had fallen ill and pulled out of a performance. Ledoux played both the soprano role of Venus and the title role of the Underworld. No, presumably of Orpheus. <laughs> Following in the footsteps of Jesse Norman and Shirley Verrett, who brought Les Troyens to the masses doing the same. Early thirst warning... Academy Award-nominated actor and prawn cocktail crisps fan Paul Mescal will star as Don Jose in an upcoming film adaptation of Carmen? The title character is played by In the Heights star Melissa Barrera, and the film is directed by Benjamin Millipied. A theatrical release is set for April, blah, blah, blah. No disrespect, just give me all the scenes with my Connell and as little clothing as necessary. Target audience nailed it. Hmm... Prong cocktail crisps. The Houston Grand Opera has announced the winners of its 2023 Concert of Arias, judged by HGO CEO Corey Dastor, Grammy Award-winning mezzo-soprano Isabel Leonard, and HGO Artistic and Music Director Patrick Summers. The first place winner was mezzo-soprano Natalie Lewis, who sang arias from Britain's The Rape of Lucretia and Donizetti's La Favorite. She also won the Online Viewer's Choice Award. Strasbourg's Opera National du Rhin has announced financially motivated modifications to its current season. Two planned stage performances of the Tales of the Tsar Zultan by Rimsky-Korsakov will be replaced by a single concert version of that opera. The company will also limit the number of performances of the Coronation of Popea. The company, supported primarily by public funding, has an annual operating budget of 23 million euros. In trade news, or in this case, no news, the Philadelphia Orchestra and its musical leader Yannick Nézé-Séguin have agreed to a contract extension, keeping the conductor at the helm of the ensemble at least through the 2029-30 season. Nézé-Séguin was already in the middle of a deal lasting through 2025-26. He will become music and artistic director under the new contract. Megan Stain. Back Smallwood has been named Interim General Director of Chicago Opera Theater following the departure of friend of the show Ashley Magnus, who served COT for seven and a half years, including being in the top job since January 2019. Magnus returns to Southwest Michigan, where she and her husband opened the River Trade Brewing Company. And on this day, February 6th in 1801, it was the birth of soprano Laura Cinti Damaro in Paris. She was the muse of bel canto and opera comique composers alike, creating roles such as Isabella in Meyerbeer's Robert le Diable, Matilda in William Tell, Countess Adela in Comte Ori, just two of her Rossini originals, and Angèle in Aubert's Le Domino Noir. In 1813, it was the first performance of Rossini's Tancredi at La Fenice. In 1830, the first performance of I Pazzi per Progetto of Donizetti premiered in Naples. In 1845, another Donizetti premiere, Dom Sebastian von Portugal, 
which is a revision, premiered in Vienna. In 1887, baritone Richard Benelli was born in Port Byron, New York. 1898 saw the birth of German soprano Erna Zock, uh, who created the role of Isotta in Strauss's Die Schweigsame Frau. In 1915, Leon Cavallo's opera La Candidata premiered in Rome. Happy birthday to British conductor and bass Matthew Best, founder of the Corydon Singers. In 1959, Francis Poulenc's opera La Voix Humaine premiered at the Opera Comique. And in 1976, it was the first performance of John LaMontagne's opera, Be Glad Then America, in honor of the American Bicentennial Celebration in 1976. The opera was conducted by Sarah Caldwell and starred folk singer Odetta as the muse for America. And that's your two-minute drill. That little ditty was once one of the most popular songs in all Europe. That was Di Tanti Palpiti from the aforementioned Tancredi by Rossini and uh, Teresa Berganza singing the aria. I'm just surprised Leon Cavallo wrote other stuff besides Pagliacci. Am well, I like, the last person to figure that out? Someone's never heard the Leon Cavallo Boheme in its shows. Yeah. Uh, or, uh, I mean, there's tons of Leon Cavallo music. and That's you done shouldn't... with any regularity, though? Well, no, but don't um, let the uh, straitjacket oh! of standard canon limit your horizons, George. Yeah. I thought yes, you were a director. Yes, because we all want to see Leon Cavallo's Bohem. And wow. then there was silence. <laughs> no, but uh, have you heard it? There is silence. We're stunned at how <laughs> narrow your horizons yeah. are. Yeah, you're a gatekeeper for Puccini, so. Hey, just uh, don't do it backwards. I think we're going to work backwards here, actually. I love the How idea the tables have turned. that Ashley Magnus <laughs> is leaving COT. First of all, I think she's done great work there. Second of all, so I don't love that she's leaving. What I do love is that she's going back, I believe, home to Southwest Michigan to run a brewery. That's the obvious next step for most <laughs> intendants. <laughs> I guess to drink more. I just yeah, really take the pain away. I just Alexander like Alexandra Pereira is going to be taking that method. Beer probably. and I like opera. I just think that's like the perfect next step, and I wish her all the best. Cheers. The Villa Verdi. I cannot tell you how tired I am of hearing about the Villa Verdi. I feel like there's more than one, so I feel like there's got to be there's Casa Verdi too. Yeah, that and, that that's the retirement home. This is yeah. the house where he lived, and so apparently, what's going on here is that the country has rights of first refusal on this house which they want to make which they want to buy to turn into a museum um and it's set to go to auction and the auction is going to start at 30 million euros and they only have 20 million euros budgeted so they told all of the opera houses in the country that they need to do more verity to raise more money so that they can afford to buy this when it goes up for auction it's like and not lose it to some cut to some private equity vulture capitalist man they never make it simple do they did you see the white lotus 
Yeah, they could set that at the Villa Verde. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but it's like there's all these this great real estate uh, in old Europe uh, and let's say Italy, uh, but nobody has any money to like maintain it or to actually like keep it going. You know, so people with plenty of like those types of assets, but not cash flow, is what we learned from the White Lotus. That's why I or House of stuff. Gucci. Okay, if, if you could make it through that um, that movie, which was something. <laughs> I don't know Orpheus in the Underworld that well, the Offenbach show. So, Nor do you know Lynn Cavallo operas. No, I'm really exposing... Um, or handle operas, for that matter. That is absolutely <laughs> true. So, like, just how much of a challenge would it be for Katya Ledeux? I mean, it's operetta. It's not like the incredible Shirley Barrett uh, having to sing for Cassandra. five hours. Troyan, yeah. 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 And I do yeah. know Troyan. But- but just the fact that she had the musicianship to do it. I don't know if she to had to To learn it use, in like two days. Yeah, if she had to use a score. I mean, I, I don't know if the Venus role is that long, but uh, just that that's a, a really odd situation. Like there's no understudy and there's not like a young artist program like we have here in the U.S. Everybody has a young artist program. So there's somebody in the wings that's like waiting to, for their chance for something like this to happen, you know? I mean, it's just like Vienna, a weird... You would think that there's some tenor somewhere who would be able to step right. in. Right. Especially yeah. the folks over too, right? Like this is their bread and butter. It seems odd that they would not be prepared to put in a, a sub. Maybe they're trying to do like the Peter Gelb thing where they create a star by... Uh, you know, um, making these artificial circumstances uh, nice, where somebody nice, like exactly. the whole um, Christina Opelace situation, for example. Hey, maybe oh, but, and that worked out <laughs> so well for everyone. <laughs> maybe this is the next big thing, though, right? Is is all of a sudden we're going to be starting to have you know singers crossing vocal parts, and that's going to be a selling point. Kind of an interesting idea. I just wanted to bring up before we we wrap up this episode. Um, this movie of Carmen. I didn't know that anybody was asking for a movie of Carmen and um, casting somebody who's not even a singer. I don't know. Maybe Paul Mescal sings. I have no idea uh, how that's going to work. If he's going to be voiced by he's going to be somebody dubbing else. Harry Belafonte. <laughs> that was a Carmen Jones deep cut for yeah. all of you, yeah. you Dorothy Dandridge fans saw, out there. Which there. actually uh, Marilyn Horan sang. Yeah, Dorothy that's true. She sure did. Um, but anyway, Paul Mescal is so, so of the moment type of beautiful. Um, I don't know if he was if he was beautiful in the nineties. If if the exact same type of person was in the nineties or, or in the aughts, but he's just like the gorgeous man of the moment. Isn't and the director? Isn't he I also stand. a choreographer as well? Yep, Benjamin Millipede. Yeah, yeah. And he's married heard... to Natalie Portman. Yeah. Well, then he can do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, he's the guy he, in Black Swan who says he doesn't want to sleep with her, and it's funny because they're married. Right, There's a little Easter egg for you next time you watch my favorite Christmas movie, Black not Swan. Not gonna happen. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna be watching this Carmen either, quite frankly. And on that note, Krabby George is gonna go to Good Call, Bad Call. Good Call, Bad Call on Opera Box Score. Time to wrap up the pod. Good call, bad call, Oliver Camacho. Last week, we did actually get to hear Juan Diego Flores, despite him canceling his uh, DC and Carnegie Hall recitals. He made it to Chicago and he sang a very unusual program, which was basically the history of Italian opera 
with some <laughs> French arias thrown in for good mix. But really not a lot of hits, not a lot of things like, ah, oh, I recognize that. Uh, but he saved all the hits for the end. And uh, he came out after a very long program uh, with a footstool and a guitar. And he started taking requests from the audience. People just started shouting in. I have never seen an audience like this. Like people waving Peruvian flags at him. Um, And then he was so overcome, not making it up. Uh, And then he put the guitar away and came back out one more time, even though everybody was clearly heading for the doors. He came out for one last encore, which... To my surprise, people was... kept asking for Granada, and he would go, "No, not doing that one." <laughs> <laughs> he sang Nessun Dorma, <laughs> exactly, oh my Lord. which was completely Jesus. implausible but adorable. So, oh, you always thank leave, you, Juan Diego. Leave him wanting more, Juan um, uh, Cummings. Was that also your good call? Bad that call? was yeah, that was a tag team good call. Okay. I love him. I've loved him for years. It was so great to see him live again. I mean, really, really great legato, really intelligent phrasing. Uh, not so much coloratura anymore. He didn't hmm. really do anything hmm. Uh, hmm. that type of flashy, but there were still high notes galore. So, Weston Williams. My good call is future Grammy nominee, unless the Met Live in HD series eats up all the uh, nominations again. Uh, co- this is the new album from Haymarket Opera here in Chicago. Of uh, friend of the show, Saint George, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, friend of the show. Um, this is Joseph Boulon's um, premiere recording of his opera, uh, The Anonymous Lover, uh, with period instruments. Uh, you may remember, dear listeners, that I attempted to get tickets for the show, but it was completely and totally sold out. So I'm really glad I'm able to oh, finally right. hear it. And it's uh, and it's such a historic recording of a composer who is really finally coming back into public consciousness, and I'm just really really excited about it. And it stars Nicole Cabell. Yeah, fun. I got a good call as well. There's a great article in the Santa Fe New Mexican newspaper online featuring Southwest Opera Southwest artistic and general director and conductor, friend of the show, Anthony Bereze. It's a great article. We'll put a link to it on the website. I just, I love his headshot. You know, when you look at conductors' headshots, first of all, there's always like a baton in the way. And second of all, they look so darn serious. This is a compliment to Tony. He looks like a guy that you just want to hang out with. I just love that. And he's he's holding us, he's holding a score, uh, presumably, of a Rossini opera on his lap. I would hope so. uh, Yeah, and he's. uh, Wearing just his concert blacks, uh, no tuxedo, no pretension. No, man, none of that. None of that. Just straight up. Straight up. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Send us that voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. And you can find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. That's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on our donate page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-host Matt Cummings, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera while you create a masterpiece barbecue sauce. 
We're back with an all-new show next week when tenor Andrew Morstein goes inside the huddle. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more Grammys than George Schultze. Join us. <laughs>